0: All right, good morning, everyone. It is a wonderful schus to be back here again with all of you for another semester. Another excited opportunity to continue our journey through Safer to Helen. So, you know, it was brought to my attention actually by a few members of of the Shire who were trying to go back and listen to some of the earlier Shi'urim that they pointed out in a very in a very nice and, and constructive way that they felt I did not spend sufficient time on the earlier Kapitlach of Sefer Tehillim. And one who is always, I'm in Jewish communal service, so I love constructive feedback. I, I, I thrive on it. So, But again, I do i do appreciate good constructive feedback. And I went back and I looked at my notes and I said, you know what, you're right. That in the first couple of kapitlach and Sefer Tehillim, specifically again, really the first five to ten, I didn't focus as much on the historical background on the thematic background and so i think it behooves us for a couple of classes to make our way back a little bit in Sefer Tehillim so we did this a little bit before Pesach where we focused on Kapitlach Aleph and Beis, chapters one and two and for the next two classes i'd like to focus on chapter three Perek Gimel in Sefer Tehillim and in fact what we're going to be really do today is we're pretty much going to focus entirely on the historical context of this capital. Because this particular chapter of Tehillim is anchored in one of the most dramatic stories in David Hamalek's life. In fact, we're going to see that the capital itself really straddles a number of. Pivotal events in David Hamelech's life. So, the history of the capital, the context of the capital, the storyline of the capital is incredibly necessary in order to appreciate the message that David Hamelech is trying to convey. So, with that, let's take a look first at chapter 3, Perek, Gimel, and Sefer Tilim. So, David Hamelech writes as follows Mizmar the David, a song of David, Bevarchom Mipnei Avshalom Beno, when he was running away from Avshalom his son. So, again, We'll give the context of this in just a moment. And what does David HaMalech say when he's running away from Avshalom, his son? Hashem, ma rabo tsarai. Hashem, I have so many tsaras. I have so many challenges. Rabim kamim alai. Literally again, now we're going to see Rabim kamim alai. The English translation has it over here. Is great men. Great men. Or it could mean many men rise up against me. Or it could just mean many tsaras rise up against me. But what you see is already happening in the opening phrase of this particular capital is David HaMelech is overwhelmed by the enormity of his struggles, plural. It's not just one struggle, it's not just one particular episode, but rather what David HaMelech is really highlighting over here is, Hashem Ma bu tzarai, shel my tzaras are so many in number. Rabbim omrim LeNafshi. Ein Yeshua solo and this is an incredible verse. And again, we're, we're going to dissect each part of this. We could spend an entire semester on this capital. We won't. We will. We will, We will make ground in Mir and We'll cover some ground, but you just see the emotion oozing from these words. Rabim Omr says, "Do you know Hashem what people say to me? They say to me, Many people say about my soul, Ein Yeshua They say that my soul." has no salvation in the God of Israel. Now here, Davram Alekh is introducing a new dynamic. Now it's new, remember, this is a little bit a little bit strange for us to relate to because many of us have spent years studying Sefer Tehillim together. So we've seen, already we've gotten through chapter 68, so we've seen already multiple themes come up. What I just want to point out is for the beginning of Sefer Tehillim, this is very dramatic. The notion that Davram Alekh has enemies, <coughs> That unfortunately is not a Chiddush. That that's that's understood. The notion that he is internal enemies, external enemies, what he's highlighting over here is something different. People say that I'm beyond salvation. People say that I'm not salvageable, that my soul, my soul is so damaged that it cannot be redeemed. My soul is so damaged that it cannot find refuge. Now understand the one of the hallmarks of Yiddishkeit, I would say perhaps to me personally, one of the most inspirational and salvational aspects of Judaism is the notion of change. Is the ability that no one is beyond repair. The the knowledge that no matter how badly I mess up in life, there is always the ability to turn my life around. And your David Amalekh says over here in this capital, many people say to me, Many people, Rabim, Rabim. You know, Rabim doesn't mean like two people. You know, you know, sometimes when, when people, you know, somebody will come over to you and they'll tell you, you know, everybody's talking about this. And when you ask them, no, who, who's everybody? Um, it's, it's Rachel and Leah. Also, it's two people. It's, it's not everybody's talking about this. It's two people. So sometimes people say everybody and they mean two people. When Dabramel says Rabbim, Rabbim means a lot of people. A lot It's not two people. It's not two people. It's not just a murmuring here and there. There are so many people who say that I'm damned. So many people that say that my soul is beyond salvation, that even you, Hashem, even you, Hashem, have rejected me. But Abraham says, But you, Hashem, <coughs> you are my shield. You, you are the one who shields me. You ultimately, again, are my glory, and you raise up my head. The capital the, the itself, you know, even before we begin to dissect it, it's so heartbreaking. Because these are the words of a broken man. So many enemies I have, Ribbono Shel And people say that not only have I made physical, I'm spiritually damaged. Not only am I spiritually damaged, they claim that I'm fundamentally rejected by you. But Hashem, Hashem, you are my shield. Now, if you notice over here, there's two things that happen. He calls Hashem his shield. You are my shield. Omerim Roshi, and you lift my head. Those are two different things. The shield, remember again, protects you from onslaught. The shield protects you from those who want to harm you. So David HaMelech says, Ribbono shalom, you are the shield that I use to shield myself against the onslaught of my enemies. And I don't feel any strength to raise my own head. I don't feel any strength to hold my head high. But you, Ribbono Shalom, you lift my head. Literally again, my voice cries out to Hashem, and Hashem, you answer me you answer me from your holy mountain and again if you'll see why we're going to spend some time on this capital because each of these each of these verses each of these Psukim, are so profoundly charged I go to sleep I go to sleep or I lay down Vashina I slept Hakitzosi, I awake for Hashem, you will support me. So you say to yourself, "Okay, David, what are you telling me? That you lay down, you go to sleep, and you get up? Okay, Shukayach. So I do that also. I I, I don't go ahead. I mean, yes, today people blog." And tweet about everything so maybe today you will find people who will tell you by the way last night I went to bed I fell asleep and this morning I woke up and they have a million followers because people are interested in this but again for regular people you, it's understood we all we all went to sleep last night we all lay down we all went to sleep we all wake, woke up this morning baruch Hashem so what is David Amalek saying so understand so what David Amalek is saying is I want you to understand how profound and overwhelming my suffering is I laid down I fell asleep and the truth is, I didn't want to get out of bed. I, did, I, 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 did, I didn't want to get out of bed. I just wanted to stay asleep. I didn't want to get out of bed. You ever have a day like that where you know that the coming day is going to be difficult, it's going to be overwhelming and there's that Sahara. I don't want to get up. I, I, I just I don't want to face the world. So the Lord says, do you know what it means? Do you know how it feels? every night to lay down and go to sleep, and sleep is a wonderful escape. Sleep is a great escape. And do you know what it feels like not to want to get out of bed in the morning? Because you simply don't want to face the trials and tribulations of life. Hakitsosi, But you know why I get up? Ki Hashem Because Hashem, you support me. It's so overwhelming. The only reason I get out of bed in the morning is because of you. Without you, I would just stay asleep. Without you, I just simply wouldn't have a reason to get up. Without you, I would lack the courage to get out of bed and face the day ahead. And because of you also, Hashem, I will not fear the 10,000s of people who have set themselves against me all around. Please, Hashem, get up. Arise, save me. Save me, my God. Literally, you have struck all my enemies on the cheek. You have broken the teeth of the wicked. It is incumbent upon Hashem to save, or literally again, Hashem, salvation belongs to you, and is incumbent upon you to save your people to bless you forever. So again, this is one of these kapitlah where, to be honest. Even if I didn't give you any background, and even if I didn't give you the she'er, and even if we didn't go ahead and start going through it, you'd be overwhelmed by this. You'd be absolutely overwhelmed because the words are overwhelming. So let's review the thematic points that are involved over here. Number one, interestingly enough, what David HaMalch does in this capital is he gives us a particular historical moment. Mizmor le David, b'varcho mipnei av shalom Beno. So the first thing we know is that somehow this capital is linked to the episode with Afshalom. Again, we'll discuss that in greater depth in just a moment. Afshalom, of course, is David HaMelech's son who rebels. So we already know, remember, those of us who have been learning Talim, we know we have two different types of kapitlach. We have some kapitlach that just come across really as beautiful poetry or prose, but do not necessarily link themselves to any particular moment in David HaMelech's life. And then there are other kapitlach, like for example, chapter 3, where David Amalekh explicitly links the capital to something that happened in his life. I sang this song, David Amalekh, I composed this capital when I was fleeing Yerushalayim from Avshalom, my son. That's thematic piece number one. Thematic piece number two. Chadosh Baruch I'm suffering. I'm suffering. And I'm not just suffering a little, right? I'm not just like a recreational sufferer. I don't just suffer on alternate Tuesdays and, and weekends. I suffer every single day. I suffer every day, and I don't just suffer a little bit. I suffer a lot. Rabutz ma Do you even understand what it means that I'm suffering? So, point number one, avshalom. Point number two, I suffer a lot. Point number three, you know what's most painful about the suffering? What's most painful? That people say that I'm so spiritually damaged that I'm beyond repair. That that's. The mo- th- by the way, we can very much relate to this because think about the most painful moments you've ever experienced in your life. And the truth is, they're not usually related to career and they're not even usually related to family. More often than not, they're related to things that I've done to myself where I feel, wow, I've just compromised myself in such a dramatic way. And I can't, I feel like, I am, I feel like I'm, I'm broken. I feel like I'm damaged goods. I feel like I'm beyond salvation. So David Malach is saying, I have, many, I have much suffering, but the most acute suffering is when people tell me that I'm damaged goods, I'm beyond repair. That's component number three. Component number four, David Malach says, almost kivyochol, I'm depressed, right? What's a telltale sign of depression? Excessive sleep. Excessive sleep. I don't want to get out of bed. I don't mean. I, I don't mean. I don't mean, a, I don't mean david clinically depressed. I mean that David HaMelech is so overwhelmed by the enormity of his circumstances, I don't want to get out of bed. I just want to stay in bed. But it's in that it's in that pasuk. I just want to point out pasuk vav is the transition pasuk. Is the transition pasuk. All speak about the and and the first part above, the enormity of my suffering. The enormity of my suffering. Vav is the transition. I want to stay in but, but I get up. Why do I get up? Because Hashem you are there. And then the rest of the capital, right, the remaining thematic overtone is one of optimism. I will not be afraid. I will overcome. HaKadosh Baruch you will vanquish my enemies. So the, the tone changes in the middle of capital. Vav. To one of optimism, to one of hope, to one of a feeling that some way, somehow, I will come out of this—an incredible capital. So let's speak a little. So because David Hamelich links this capital to shalom it gives us the ability now to try to understand the capital through a historical lens. So what we're going to do is something I don't normally do. In us, even though we're going back in time, we're still going to have a little bit of a different model of the year. So normally, when I give you the historical context. I just do it outside and kind of just do it a little bit of a, in, a, in a more cursory, superficial fashion. This time we're going to go back and we're going to analyze what is happening in David HaMelech's life in an in-depth way, because to appreciate this capital, we have to literally see the events as they unfold. So if you take a look at number two on your sheet, we go back a little bit in time to Shmuel Bays to Shmuel Bays. So remember, again, to give you to give you just a bit more context, the the event the, the uh, one of the major events which changed the entire trajectory and course of David Hamalakh's life is the episode with Bathsheba. This is the episode that comes up over and over and over again throughout David HaMelech's life. Now the truth is it set a course with David life in a variety of ways. To a certain degree it set him on a perpetual crash course with many of his adversaries because they felt that in the aftermath of the episode of Bathsheba. So remember again, David HaMelech sees this woman Bathsheba, he desires her, she's married, he sends her husband out to the front lines of battle with the intention to get killed, Uriachiti ultimately again is killed in battle, David marries Batsheva, and there's a very interesting union. It's an interesting union because on one hand, the ultimate union is blessed by God. How do we know that the union is blessed by God? Because David and Batsheva have a son by the name of Shlomo. And remember again, the Reban Shlomo himself gave a name to Shlomo. He didn't call Shlomo Shlomo, he called Shlomo Yedidya which means Beloved One of God. So on one hand, it is clear that the Rebunosh Shel olam blessed this union. On the flip side, David Hamalech is held accountable for how the union began and the genesis of it. It started. It started in the wrong way. The fact that it ended out as a sacred union between husband and wife and produced a Davidic heir, right, and produced the king who would ultimately build the Beis HaMikdash is indicative of the fact that HaKadosh Baruch Hu blessed it but David HaMelech is held responsible for, right? What he's held responsible for is how it started, and David is told how it started was the, it was, was wrong, was was wrong. So if we take a look at number two, number two represents <clears throat> the conversation between the Navi Nason and David HaMelech. Right, so in the in the aftermath of the episode with Bathsheba, episode now remember Uriah Hiti is dead. Uriah Hiti, right? David David essentially had him killed. Again, not actively executed, but David Melech had him killed by purposely placing him on the front lines of the army in order that he should be able to marry Bathsheba. So now Uriah is dead. David's married to Bathsheba. Not not only is David married to Bathsheba, but in fact they already have a child. Well, well, well let's see. Number two, Vaishlach Hashem El Esnasan El David. So Nassan Hanavi comes to Davan and he says as follows, So Nassan, Nassan comes, and it's interesting, Nasan doesn't come guns blazing, right? He doesn't come Blasting David Amalek, King David. What did you do? What did you do? You are David Malcolm Shika. You are David Melech Israel. You are the anointed one of God. How could you behave in such he doesn't come like that? Instead, he gives David Amalek, a mushal. He gives him a parable, which which, interestingly enough, well let, let's see. There were two men who lived in a city. One was wealthy and one was one was poor. La Ashir bakar the rich man had much livestock, right, he had stone, he had stone, he had, he had sheep, he had cattle. And the poor man, all he had was a sheep, all he had was a sheep, but because that's all he had, the sheep was very near and dear to him. So literally again, the sheep, he would let the sh- sheep sleep in his bed, he would feed the sheep from his bread, he would let the sheep drink from his cup. So what happened? So the so the but the rich man, he really liked the sheep of the poor man. So he decided, you know what? I'm going to go ahead and I'm going to go ahead and take the sheep of the poor man. So Nasa Navi says to David, and he says to David, tell me, what do you think should be the sentence? What should be the punishment of the rich man? Right, the rich man has everything. He has everything. The poor man had one little sheep that was his. And the rich man decided, I want that sheep too. So he comes and he takes the sheep of the rich man. What should happen? What should happen? (coughs) What should happen? Verse 5 And King David is filled with anger. How could this happen? How could the rich man be so selfish? The rich man has everything. He has everything. And he has to deprive the poor man of the one little thing he has David HaMelech says I think the rich man should be put to death but before he's put to death he should have to repay the poor man fourfold David HaMelech flush with righteous indignation says David you're the man you're the rich man you're the rich man in the marshal." You're the rich man, and Uriachiti was the poor man. You're the king, you have everything. Uriachiti had one thing, one thing his wife Batshava. and you took that away from him. You took that away from him. Show. So again, so Nasan goes on, Nasan goes on and he says, ultimately again, you are the rich man. Hashem said, I anointed you. I gave you the monarchy. I gave you everything. You have everything. And why did you have to take Bathsheba? Why did you have to take the one thing that Uriah had. If you take a look, Pasuk Tes Madua Bazisa, verse nine. Madua Bazisa says to Bar Hashem, Lasos Harabeini Hashem. As Suriachiti kisa becheref, v'as ishtolak haftolachol isha, Amon. Tell me, why did you have to disgrace the word of God? Why did you have to do that which was evil in the eyes of God? Why did you have Uriachiti killed? Why did you take Uriah's wife to be your own wife and have Uriah killed by the children of Ammon? So again, the Navi then goes on and blasts David Hamelech, blasts him. He says, "Now, because of you did you did this, your home, your home will always be filled with strife." in Pasuk Yeralef Hashem says, I will bring against you an enemy from your own home, and that enemy will take your wives. <speaking in> because <Hebrew> David, you did something secretly, furtively, <speaking in Hebrew> but your punishment will be public. So the Navi blasts. Nasa Navi blasts David HaMelech for what happened with Bathsheba. Now again, just as an aside, by the way, <coughs> What is interesting about the approach of Nasan HaNavi, and is very powerful for conflict resolution as well, or when you have to tell someone something that they're not going to be so receptive to hearing, is sometimes the best way to tell people something difficult that they don't want to hear is not to say it directly. See, Nasanavi could have come in and said, you you you, chote, you avaryon, you sinner, what did you do? But that's not what Nasanavi does. What, what does Nasanavi do? Nasan gives a muscle See, because here's what's incredible. Most of us have incredible clarity in life with everything except one thing, which is, I see you mouthing it, ourselves. Ourselves, right? I, I, I have clarity when it comes to you and to you and to you, and I could give eight sets to this one, eight sets to that one, and it's so clear you're making this mistake, oh, you're doing good over here. We have clarity with everyone but ourselves, which, which makes sense, which makes sense because at the end of the day, it's very hard to see myself in an objective fashion for one simple reason. I live inside myself. I'm a little bit partial to myself. I give myself the benefit of the doubt. I don't always. I'm not always willing to see my own faults and shortcomings. So what Nasan Anavi does is something brilliant. <clears throat> I'm sorry. He gives David a muscle outside of himself. He gives David a storyline outside of David and says, David, what do you think about this? What do you think about the guy who has everything? Who has everything? and takes something from the person who has only one thing. To which Nasa, to which David responds, horrible, horrible, horrific. Such a person should be dealt with so strictly, so strongly. And see, and what Nasa Hanavi says is, you know what David, that's you. Now you would think to yourself, wouldn't David HaMelech realize kind of where nassan Hanavi is going with this? But I just want to point out over here, the power of cognitive dissonance, right? The ability, and we do this all the time the ability to divorce my own actions from reality. The ability to look at myself and look at my actions in a vacuum, divorced of the rest of reality, right? Every single time, thank you. I'll, I'll have the drink of water. I will. Thank you. Thank you, Naomi. Thank you. <coughs> okay. Thank you. <clears throat> the ability to look at my actions independent of the reality in which I'm situated. So it's incredible. David Amelech. however, he explained away the episode with Bat he explained it away. But now at the end of the day, he's confronted. He's confronted with a mushroom, he's confronted with a fictitious story outside of himself. And again, you see that righteous indignation. Understandably, so David Amelech says the guy who has everything takes something from the guy who has nothing, unforgivable. Unforgivable, and Nasan says, "You know what, David? You're right. That's you. That's you. That's you. You have everything. The Rebbe gave you everything. He anointed you as king. And why do you? Ha- why did you have to take the one thing that Uriah had? And not only that, why did you have to arrange for Uriah to be killed? And as a result, Nasan Avi says, this one action <clears throat> has forever changed the trajectory of your life." Your life now will be filled with strife. Your life now will be filled with struggle. And not only that, there will be people who will rise up against you within your own home. David, you committed your act secretly. No one else knew about it. But your punishment will be public. What does David Amalek respond? Paragraph, I'm sorry, source number three. And this is incredible. And here, here is where you begin to see the godless of David Amalek. Number three, Vayomer David El-Nason, This to me, I want to tell you something. If all we knew about in David Amalek's life was this one episode, he would be the greatest tzaddik of all time. Because human nature is when we are confronted with something we've done wrong. Human nature is you dig your heels in. Human nature is no, 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 no. I'm no. Oh no, no, I'm sorry. You think I'm like the rich guy? No. Let me explain to you why I'm not the rich guy. First of all, the rich guy, his parents loved him. My parents didn't love me so much, right? The rich guy, he had a wonderful education. Man, uh, again, we, we explain it away. And the greatness of David Hamelch is two words: Chatasi <laughs> Own it, own it. Do you know what the Gemara says? David HaMelech is the paradigmatic example of tshuva. We learn tshuva from David HaMelech. Own your mistakes. Own it. Own it. You see, we sometimes have a mistaken notion, right? I just want to point out something amazing. Isn't it incredible? David HaMelech is the father of the Messianic line. The father of the Messianic line. And yet he committed this mistake that Akhalish Baruch was calling him out on. So you see, greatness does not mean the absence of mistakes. Everyone makes mistakes. Everyone makes mistakes. The difference between great people and ordinary people is great people own their mistakes. Great people say, I did it. I did time. You're right. I owned it. Because if I own it, now I could work on fixing it. Regular people spend all of their energy trying to explain why they really didn't make a mistake. No, it wasn't an Avera. It, maybe it's a misunderstanding. Maybe it's a miscommunication. Don't be so judgmental. Regular people explain away everything. Great people own it. And I just want to point out an incredible historical symmetry. Remember, who is David HaMelech's Alter zeda? Who is his Alter zeda? none other than the great tzaddik Yehuda. Yehuda. There's a lot of similarities in Yehuda's story, in Davram Melech's story. Remember again, Yehuda also has an interesting encounter with a woman who he thought was a prostitute, a woman who he thought was, was a harlot, was a zona. It happened to be it was his daughter-in-law. And then Tamar becomes pregnant through Yehuda, they're about to execute her at the end of the day, at the end of the day, because they thought that she was immoral and she was not going to out her father in law. And what happens as she's about to be executed? She says, Listen, the father of my child is the man who owns this cloak and this signet ring. Yehuda sees it. And what does he say? Two words. Sadka she's right. She's right. Now again, in the case of Yehuda, there was no, quote-unquote, avera. In other words, there was no sinful activity. There was no sinful activity. Yoda didn't do anything wrong. Tamar didn't do anything wrong. But there's an ownership of it. There's an ownership. We spend so much time and so much emotional energy deflecting responsibility. Everything is always someone else's responsibility. And what makes great people great is when they make mistakes, which we all do, which we all do, there is no person. You see, one of the major distinctions between, let's say, Judaism and, for example, let's take Christianity for just a moment. So Christianity right, has a pope, right? There's a pope. And I think the most incredible part of the pope, I'm sure he's a good guy, but the most incredible part of the pope, is papal infallibility. To me, this notion is incredible. The pope can't make a mistake. Papal infallibility. We have no such concept like that. We have no such concept. There's no such thing as infallibility. Moshe Rabbeinu made mistakes. Meno made mistakes. Yitzchak Avinu, Avram Avinu. You can go through the Yishbizan, right? Everybody made mistakes. Every, right? And by the way, that's not a condemnation. It's because they're human beings. We don't believe in infallibility. We don't believe in infallibility. And because we don't believe in infallibility, that's why Meno could be a role model for me. Because if she was infallible, I have nothing to learn from her. Moshe Rabbeinu made one mistake his whole life. One mistake. He hit the rock and said, and the Torah speaks about it over and over. Leave the guy alone. He made one mistake in his entire lifetime. And you have to perseverate on it. It's not there to condemn Moshe. It's there to make Moshe a role model. Because if he never made a mistake, how could I relate to him? What makes great people great is not the avoidance. They make mistakes, just like the rest of us. But many of us, in the aftermath of a mistake, spend all of our time and energy deflecting and explaining. And great people just do one thing. They own it, grow from it, move on from it. So David HaMelech says, number three, Chatasi I sinned, I sinned. Vayomer David, gam HaShem isn't this incredible? The whole thing is resolved like in a Pasuk. David HaMelech says, I made I made the mistake, Chatasi I'm owning it. I made the mistake. Nelson says, okay, Hashem is going to forgive you. Hashem is going to forgive you, you're not going to die. So you see from the Pesukim themselves that apparently David HaMelech really should have died as a result of this particular episode. You're not going to die. Now at this point in time, when, when Nelson HaNavi was confronting David about, about the episode of Shava, David and Shava had a baby. They already had a, they, they, just given birth a few days earlier and they had an infant child. So Nasan tells David, the child is going to die. The child is going to die. And the death of the child, the Navi says explicitly, is linked ultimately again to the, wh- what happened here. You see, you're not going to die, David. You're not going to die. And a who is willing to forgive you, but there are repercussions. And there repercussions for your actions as the child is going to die. So what happens? Nason leaves. Nason leaves because this is also incredible. Nason doesn't berate David. He gives the mushroom. David gets, gives David HaMalch the Musr, gives him the rebuke, and then that's it. David says, Chata si Hashem, I own it. Nason says, OK, the child is going to die. I'm sorry. And Nasan leaves. And what happens? The child is stricken, the child, the baby becomes ill. And again, you see, how does the Navi refer to Bat Sheva? It's calling her the wife of Uriah. Which, which is very dramatic. At this point, I'm David. David has married Bathsheba, but yet you see the Navi refers to Bathsheba as the wife of Uriah. <inaudible> Please, heal my child. Please heal my child. And he fasts and he lays down on the ground. And David Amalach's servants, they can't take seeing him like this. So they try to get him to stand up, to eat something, and he won't hear of it. seven days into this. David Amalek has been Davening and fasting for seven days for the reforce of his infant child, Vayama The baby died. And the servants of David are too scared because they were too scared to tell him the baby died. Because they said to themselves, my gosh, if he's laying on the ground, fasting, tearing his clothing when the baby is sick, what is he going to do if we tell him that the baby died? He's going to totally lose it. He's going to totally lose it. So what happens? test. The last verse in source number three, David saw that his servants were whispering. And he realized something happened. David understood that his son had died. David asked the servants straight out, has the baby died? And they said, yes, the baby has died. Then something amazing happens. Number four. David got up. He got up. He washed himself. Vayasach, he, he anointed himself with oil. Vayechal leifsim losav, he changed his clothing. Vayyobo beis Hashem vayishtachu vayyobo beisav vayishal vayasimu lo lechem levayochal. So something dramatic happens. After he hears the baby has died, he gets up, washes himself, changes his clothing, davins to HaKadosh Baruch Hu, comes to his home, sits down and eats a meal. So no one understands Davar The servant's one David, when your child was alive, you wouldn't eat, you were laying on the ground, tattered clothing, you wouldn't bathe. And now the baby is dead. You go, you go, you take a, you take a shower, you change your clothing, you have a meal. This is incredible. Dovran HaMelech says, Vayomer ba'ot hayalad chay samti v'evkeh ki amerti miyodeh ve'chanani hashem v'cha hayalad. lama z'anitzam. Dovran HaMelech says, you know, when the baby was alive, I davened and I fasted and I did everything I could because I thought maybe, maybe I can move HaKadosh Baruch Hu to change things around. But now the baby is dead. V'yath tamais, lama z'anitzam. This is such a moving passage. Tavadah Melech says, my son has died. So what can I do? Can I bring him back to life? Listen to these words. Ani elav, yashuv elai. I know I'll see my son again, but I'm going to go to him. He is not going to come back to me an incredibly, each of these exchanges are so profound and they will figure back into the Kapitlach. David HaMelech teaching us an incredibly profound episode. I will do anything and everything in my power to change my circumstances. But once they can no longer be changed, I'm not going to exert energy trying to change something that is unchangeable. So when, when my son was alive, as long as there's life, as long as there's life, there is always the ability to affect change. So when my baby was alive, I'll do anything and everything I can to try to change the circumstances. But now, my child died. My child. So can I change that? Can I do Can I bring him back from the dead? So what am I going to do? I'm going to lay on the ground. I'm going to continue to fast. I'm going to continue to dive in for the impossible. I'll see my son again. I'll go to him. But he's not coming back to me. So David HaMelech said, if I cannot change the circumstances, I must accept them. And if I have to accept them, I have to eat, I have to be a mensch, I have to put on my clothing, I have to sit at a table, I have to be with my mishpacha. So you see, it's the same theme, it's the same theme. It's the same theme of acceptance. The same David HaMelech who was able to accept his wrongful behavior with Bat Sheva. I accept, I accept chatasi Hashem. I accept what I did, I own it. That same David HaMelech is able to accept the tragic death of his infant child as well. Because what's the alternative? To rally against it? What's the alternative? To pretend like it didn't happen? To, 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 To lament the unfairness of these circumstances? I can't bring it back to life. And if I can't bring it back to life, the only thing I can do is accept this reality, grow from it, and move on from it. Number of source number five in the aftermath. Vayenoch in David es bat Shavah ishtov vayavoy elah ima imah vateiled bein. David ha-Melech and bat continue life. They continue life and they have a child. They have another son. So again, you just see I'm reading to you. This is a straight progression of the Psukim. So again, I just want to point out, I broke it up in different sources, but two, three, four, five. It's the same section in Navi. It's all the same section. From the, from the moment that Nasan confronts David with the mushel to the moment that David owns his sin, to the moment that Nasan says, here's all the stuff that's gonna happen badly, to the moment that David's infant child becomes ill, David fasts for him, Davins for him, the child dies, David once again accepts. Picks himself back up, moves on in life. Dovna and Bacheva move forward. And how do they move forward? They build their Mishpacha. And they have a son. That boy's name was Shlomo, V'Hashem Ahivo. And Hashem loved this little boy. Of course, the Riboshlam's love of Shlomo represented the Riboshlom's blessing of this union. And they invite Nasa Navi to the Brist, they send the good news to Nasa Navi and Nasa says, By the way, your name, you named him Shlomo. In the eyes of the Rebano Shlomo, his name is Yedidya, the Beloved One from HaKadosh Baruch Hu. So this is the episode. Now, why am I sharing this with you? Because remember, let us we're going to do the rest of this outside. So outside, what happens next? What happens next? So just to show you the timeline of Dara, the very next episode, the very next episode is Amnon um, <clears throat> um, and Tamar who were both children of David HaMelech, they were half-siblings, Amnon um, rapes Tamar. That, you, you want to talk about like a crazy life of David HaMelech. That that is literally the next event that occurs. Amnon um, rapes Tamar, as a result ultimately Tamar's brother Avshalom, okay now enter Avshalom. Tamar's brother Avshalom hears about this and he murders Amnon. Okay, so you're following this is this is David Amelek's mishpacha. This is the craziness David Amelek. So again, Amnon rapes Tamar. Avshalom Tamar's brother hears about what Amnon did, murders Amnon. So Avshalom murders Amnon. After Avshalom murders Amnon, he escapes to Geshur. He, he he fled the country. He escapes to Geshur because he understands that father David Amelek. Is going to be very unhappy. He's going to be, of course, he's unhappy. David Amalek was was livid when he heard what Amnon did to Tamar. He was he was livid, but he was. But Avshalom also know also knew that David would not stand for one brother murdering another. So the fact that Avshalom murdered Amnon, Avshalom flees to Geshur. What happens? Over time, David reconciles with Avshalom. He reconciles with his son. He understands why Avshalom did what he did. He, he doesn't really forgive it, but he understands why he did what he did. David reconciles with Avshalom and Avshalom comes back to live with his father in Yerushalayim. So Avshalom comes back, lives in Yerushalayim. Not long after that, Avshalom launches his revolt against his father. He launches his revolt against his father. So remember again, When Avshalom launches his revolt, David HaMelech (coughs) HaMelech decided to flee Yerushalayim. He was not going to fight his son. This was a decision that he made. He is not going to fight his son. So he decides, he packs up shop. He goes ahead and I'm not, I'm not fighting my son. And in the interim, everything that Nasan HaNavi described in number two, all comes true. There was a revolt from within David HaMelech's wife Da, right, Avshalom Avshalom did very, many immoral things, including again, you know, violating his father's wives and concubines. He does all of those things, all of those things that Nasan Hanavi said was going to happen, and ultimately, again, Avshalom revolts. So now, now you have the entire historical timeline. How does this plug back into the capital? Because remember, how does chapter three begin? Mizmar leDavid bevarcho mipnei Avshalom Beno. This is the song that David Hamelech sang when he was running away from Avshalom. And when was, so again, David, you see, the great tragedy of David Hamelech's life is David Hamelech was not only a great tzaddik, he was a baal Midos tovos and a baal Chesed. And David Hamelech wants to give everyone the benefit of the doubt. And the truth is, every single time he gives someone the benefit of the doubt, almost inevitably, they stab him in the back. David HaMelech is, is this incredible story of a person who exhibits ridiculous, overwhelming kindness to even his enemies, even the people who want to kill him. He's willing to go ahead and forgive, and every single time he does it, they turn around and stab him in the back. He invites Avshalom back to Levin Yerushalayim, Avshalom launches a revolt. So Mizmar Le David, Mipnei Avshalom B'nov. David HaMelech again is running away from Avshalom. The last piece I want, so now, now, by the way, so just so you, you understand the lead up. We, you know, everybody's familiar with the story of Avshalom, but now you understand the story of Avshalom doesn't happen in a vacuum. It does not happen in a vacuum. The story of Avshalom is the continuum of the story that begins with Batsheva bathing on that rooftop. It begins there and it ends with Avshalom. It doesn't really even end with Avshalom. It continues afterwards also. But all of the events that I mentioned to you lead up to this revolt of Avshalom. Now, what's intriguing about this is as follows. This is chapter three in Sefer Tehillim. Why is this chapter three? When does the revolt of Shalom take place? Remember, David Hamalech lives until what age? We all know this. He lives until what age? Good. Seventy. The revolt of Avshalom took place when David HaMelech was 65 years old. 65 years old. So already, again, towards the end of his life, 65 years now, again, David Meilch is still vital, he's still strong, he's still vibrant, but this is happening at the age of 65, which begs the obvious question. Why is this in the beginning of Sefer Tilim? Now the truth is, it's not such a big question, because at the end of the day, Sefer Tilim doesn't necessarily follow a linear chronological order, that, that we've seen many times already, but it is intriguing that Sefer Tilim begins with an event, begins with an event, that occurred at the end of David HaMelech's life. Mizmar le David bevarchom me When does David run away from Afshalom? 65 years old. There's a whole bunch of stuff, crazy stuff also, that occurs in David HaMelech's life over the course of those first number of years. So why ultimately is this first? And perhaps what David HaMelech is trying to teach us is an incredibly profound lesson. And with, with this really we'll conclude for today. And the profound lesson is, even before we begin to drill down, because remember, I just want to point out to you what you have over here so far. So what you have over here is, as we spoke about before, the five thematic components of the capital, The five thematic components. Number two, you now have the entire history, right? You know everything that happened, everything I know, you know, right? Everything that happened from the episode of Batsheva ultimately, again, up until the revolt of Avshalom. And remember, this capital focuses on all of these details. Why does David HaMelech choose to lead off with this because think about this in just a moment right remember capital Aleph is, is ashria ish right which is beautiful so he's leading a virtuous life right capital gimel lamu Rag Shugayim, right lam which sounds like again enemies internal enemies external enemies this is still the beginning of capital of Sefer several why is this capital number three why is this here at the beginning and perhaps what Tavra Malak is teaching us is perhaps one of the most important lessons in life which is Here's the lesson, our challenges make us who we are. And what do I mean by that? You see, often in life what you hear people saying is, they think that we become who we are despite our challenges. Right? That I I am the person I am, Despite the challenges, even though I had this challenge, this challenge, this challenge, I'm still Baruch Hashem, I'm still standing, I'm still able, I'm still, I'm right, I'm still positive, I'm still optimistic, I'm still this, all these different things. I am who I am despite my challenges. Dovid says that's false. I am not who I am despite my challenges. I am who I am because of my challenges. You see. Everything is about how you look at challenges in life. I think many of us we look at challenges as like it's like a it's like a speed bump. Like it's it's a blip on the it's 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 an it's an aberration. Life is supposed to be tranquil and life is supposed to be good, and again, calm seas and blue skies and perfect 70 degrees and not too much humidity and not too much this. That's how life is supposed to be. And then every once in a while, unfortunately. There's turbulence, right? There's challenges, adversity. We've spoken about many times. Those who have an expectation that life is supposed to be tranquil are in for a very rude awakening. Life is not tranquil. Like, and, and, if you, and if you think, if your expectation is that life is supposed to be tranquil, you become jaded, cynical, and disillusioned. Challenge is part of the fabric of the human condition. Challenge is a necessary part of the human condition. And challenges make us who we are. I do not become me without adversity. I do not become me without hiccups. I do not become me without the bumps. I do not become me without the valleys of life. It's not I don't become I don't I don't become who I am despite the challenges. I become who I am because of the challenges. And that is why David Hamelech leads off. Safer to him with this capital, because Mizmor leDavid bevarchom mipnei Shalom bino. Do you know why I am a David Hamelch who could sing? Do you know why I am who I am? Do you know why I am the father of a dynastic monarchy? Do you know why David Hamelch says I am the father of the messianic line? Not despite my challenges, avshalom I spent my life running from challenges, not running away from things, but running because of challenges. Unless you think, oh. David, how, can you imagine how much more successful David HaMelech would have been had he not had his challenges? That is a false statement. There would never have been a David Amalek without the challenges. There would never have been a father of a messianic one without the challenges. There would never have been such a seminal personality who changed the course not just of our people but of all humanity without the challenges. Because the challenges make us who we are. We can't become me. I can't become the best version of myself without the adversity, without the challenges. And that's the David Hamel says, Ms. Shir, do you know I have the ability to sing? Do you know I have the ability to, to, to accomplish? Do you know I have the ability to become the best version of myself? Be'varcho mipnei Shalom, bino. Not despite my challenges, but because of my challenges. And what, And that's why, again, when David Hamelik goes through all the challenges in life, he's not lamenting. He's not complaining. He's telling you, I've had a ridiculous life, a ridiculous life. And yes, David HaMelech had many brachas, I I want to be clear, many wonderful things. But I think if you put David's brachas and his adversity on the scale, my personal opinion is adversity would would weigh that whole thing down. I think it would break the scale. I think it would pull it down and pull it off and pull it off its hinges. That's how much adversity David Amalek had. Remember, again, it started when he was a boy, as we've discussed, and it goes on to his deathbed. Remember, we know what's happening with David Amalek when he's on his deathbed. Remember, Batsheva has to find a way to tell him, ah, David, I don't know how to tell you this. You're, 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 you're gasping your last breaths. You know, Adonio Ben Chagis, your son, is Misna Mor ani is proclaiming himself as king. David, if if it's not too much trouble, I know you're gasping for it, right, you're you're drawing your last breaths. Would you mind just making a declarative statement that Shlomo is going to be king? Let the man die in peace. Let the man die in peace. The man can't live in peace. He had no Shalom in his life, no peace in his lifetime, and he can't even die in peace. But that's what made him David. There was no David without the challenges. There wasn't, you know, if David Amelech would have had a life where he could go ahead and move to Boca, right, and go or century village, wherever everybody goes, you know, for their twilight years, right? If he if he could move to Boca and get a nice place and sit and play shuffleboard, right, and learn dafyomi and just enjoy the good life, he would have been a regular guy. He would have been a regular guy. David Amelech didn't become David Amelech despite the challenges. He became David Amelech because of the challenges. Mizmar leDavid. Why can David sing? B'varcho m'tnei avshalom shalom Ultimately, again, because he had to run. Because he was pursued by life challenges, but he found the courage to meet them, found the courage to overcome them, found the courage to own his mistakes, found the courage to rebound, found the courage to go ahead and gather up the pieces and rebuild and move forward. That's why he became David. So we'll stop over here for this week, Amirot HaShem. We will continue in this capital next week. And Amir HaShem delve now a little bit more, a little bit more into the particular story of Avshalom. And also Amirot HaShem to try to un- unwind, or I should say delve into some of the other thematic patterns in the capital. Yeshekoach everyone, and wishing everyone wonderful to be back with everyone, and wishing everyone a wonderful day. Thank you so much. Thank you very much. Of course.